Well, first I want to start off, I was talking to my friend Alton Jones uh, on Friday, and Alton is actually up in, uh, those of you who don't know, Alton is a professional fisherman, and he's up in Green Bay, Wisconsin, and he's up there at a tournament there. But he was uh, telling me about a story that him and Brian Carter, uh, Brian sitting right down here, another great fisherman, that they were out doing a little fishing out on Toledo Bend, I think is what, what he said it was. So they're out there doing some fishing. And uh, as they were uh, kind of making their way out, they were beginning to kind of scout out for some places to fish. And uh, when you're, you're fishing, uh, particularly a bass fisherman, you're, you're always looking for those places where the bass hide. And so they happened as they were kind of perusing along uh, the water here. In the distance, they saw this big tree that had fallen from the shore. Part of it was on the shore and part of it had fallen into the, the lake. And as they cruised up on this, they said, that's just a great spot. Because, you know, those bass, they like to hide underneath there. And it's a great place to throw out your lines and just kind of drag it along. And hopefully they come out and they snatch it. And so as they were moving up in a position, getting their boat into position, uh, they noticed they saw these two objects on the log. And as they got closer, Brian noticed that it was two huge pecans that were sitting on the log. Two huge ones. Just kind of puzzled them. So as they got closer and closer, uh, all of a sudden they saw this little thing just dash out, and it was a squirrel dash out, put this pecan in its mouth, and then uproared out of the water came this bass and swallowed the squirrel whole. Brian, you were astonished, weren't you? Brian fell back in his seat. Alton was just locked jawed. He was just couldn't believe it. And just a few moments later, or just a few moments later, that is, another squirrel darted out, put a pecan in his mouth, and boom, up came another bass, swallowed the squirrel whole, went down the ground. These guys were floored. They were floored out of their minds, just kind of staring at each other like, what's going on, Jack? And all of a sudden they heard this big splash of water come out, and this bass hops up, jumps over the log, places two pecans back down on the end of the log, and back into the water. He was reusing his bait. That's what they call a fish story. We're talking about the book of Jonah, and when we come to Jonah, the first thing we often think about is we think about a fish, don't we? I'm here to tell you this morning that the book of Jonah is, is much more than a story about a fish. It's much more than that. First of all, this fish story in Jonah is true. Okay, I'm not going to go into all the arguments of the skeptics. I'm just going to settle it with one argument. Christ in Matthew chapter 12, he refers to the historicity of Jonah. He refers to the fact that Jonah went down was in a, it was in a fish. And he came back up. I'll let the case rest right there. But it's more than a fish story. It's a story and a testimony about the character of God. It's, see, the, the central character in the book of Jonah is not the fish. It's God. That's who the central character is. The whale or the fish or whatever it is, is simply just a prop in the hands of God to illustrate truths about himself that have come to bear on our lives today. It's a story about God who is full of grace. 
that he is so full of grace that he'll pursue us in that grace when we choose to take rebellion in our lives, when we choose to flee him. It's a story about a God who loves us so much that he'll discipline us to get us back on track when we run away. It's a story about God's mercy that even though we deserve judgment, he will pour out mercy upon us and withhold judgment that we deserve and let us enjoy the grace. It's a story of compassion, that God has compassion for all people, Jew and Gentile alike. It's a story. It's a story that you and I can relate to. As we go through Jonah, you're going to see character reversals. You're going to see irony. You're going to see satire. You're going to find places that you're going to identify in this story. This story that's a testimony about the character of God. Now, let's just jump into this story. Let's look at this. In Jonah chapter 1, verse 1, it says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for for their wickedness has come up before me. God comes, and as he often does to a prophet, the word of the Lord came, it came to Jonah. And he was about to commission him on a great mission to go and to preach to the kingdom of Assyria, which Nineveh was the capital of. It was an unusual task for a prophet of Israel, but nonetheless, it was a task that God was calling him to. Jonah, if you didn't know, is referred to in 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25. Jonah was of some sorts a a hero in the nation of Israel, actually, which is the northern nation. The nation had already split, and so there was Judah in the south, and there was Israel in the north. And Jonah was a prophet to the northern kingdom of Israel, and he was a hero of sorts. If you were to go back and look in 2 Kings chapter 14, you will saw, you will see that it was Jonah who came and told Jeroboam II, the king, that, that God had said that it was okay that he could go and expand his territory. He prophesied to this king. Matter of fact, this territory would be spread to almost the length of that as it was in the time of David. And the king obeyed, and his territory was spread. And so people looked at Jonah as, boy, this, we like what Jonah has to say. There's blessing in this. So he was a hero of sorts. As a matter of fact, Israel was at one of its highest times, its peaks of political and economic condition. Things were going great. There was success. There was abundance. But at the same time of this economic abundance, there was also a low spiritual apathy that was happening amongst the nation. And you would have thought that God would be calling Jonah to come and to speak to the people of Israel. But he doesn't. Instead, he says, go to Nineveh, Jonah. I have a message for you to give to the people of Nineveh. He says, arise, go. Go to Nineveh, the the great city. And Nineveh was certainly a great city. Its ruins sit in the same area of the modern day uh, Mosul in, in Iraq. It was a huge city. It sat on the east bank of the Tigris River. And Jonah's mission was a, was a great mission that he was given. He was going to go and preach against these people. Literally says cry against or preach against it. 
Jonah chapter 3 verse 4 tells us a little bit about this message. And you'll be happy to know that it was a it was an eight word message. It was this. It says, yet 40 days in Nineveh will be overthrown. Some of you wish my message was like that eight words, don't you? You enjoy the brevity. All right. You're not getting that today. All right. But that was his message to go. It was a message of judgments. You might ask, well, why this message? Well, look what it says there in the text. Verse two, for their wickedness has come up before me. Or as one pastor says, or he put it this way, it was God's way of saying enough is enough. I've had it with their evil wickedness. I cannot stand the relentless and persistent vile violence and arrogance. God had had enough. He had enough of Nineveh. And he was sending one of his prophets to go and cry against it. Sometimes we think that uh, God doesn't notice the injustices that are going on in the world. Let me tell you, he does. And his perfect timing... He will address them. And sometimes, though, also in his grace, which I think is a message of grace, and we'll see later in the book, he calls his prophets to go and to warn people. Did you know he's called us? Did you know he's called us to be witnesses to all the world? To go and to tell of grace, but at the same side, on the flip side of the good news of the gospel, is the bad news, too. That judgment will come. But grace is available. So why this message to the people of Nineveh? Well, historically, Nineveh is called one of the cruelest, vilest, and most prideful and most idolatrous empires in the world. When you begin to read about the people of Nineveh, uh, I can't even tell you some of the things that they've done. Some of the horrible things that they would do to the people that they would conquer. How they would destroy these people and tear them up, literally, their bodies. They are wicked. They are vile people. And God says, Nineveh, I want you to rise. I want you to go. Or he says, Jonah, I want you to rise. I want you to go to Nineveh and preach against it, cry against it. So what does Jonah do? Verse 3. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship which was going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now, let me ask you something, you kids. If you were to look over here at my sign here, do you think that Tarsus is, is Tarsus a, a suburb of Nineveh? No, it's not. Nineveh was 550 miles one way. Matter of fact, what, what Jonah did is he heard the word of the Lord came to him. He walked outside his house. He kind of looked and he took a took a kind of look to the west, 555 50 miles. He was just kind of imagining himself walking around the Arabian desert, making his way in between the uh, the rivers, the valleys of uh, Tigris and Euphrates, where Nineveh laid. Then he turned his heels and he said, "No, you know, instead I'm going to go 2,050 miles to Tarsus." Instead, which many believe to be at the southern point of Spain, in Jonah's mind, in the ancient world, the farthest place away he could get from Nineveh and God's call on his life. What was Jonah saying here? What was he what was he saying? He's saying, God, I'm not going to do it. 
He's saying Jonah. Now, Jonah knows his theology. So when it says he's fleeing the presence of God, now he knows in his heart that God is omnipresent and that he can't escape the presence of God. But in essence, he's using the term to say, you know what, I'm not going to be your prophet anymore. I'm not taking this mission on. I'm going as far away from this mission that you've called me to. And the question that we ask ourselves right away is why? Why does Jonah run? Was it the distance? Is it like I just didn't want to walk that far? Was it the danger? They're pretty vile people. Violent people. Was it the difficulty? Or was it just dislike? What are some of the things that cause you to run from God? You ever stop and ask yourself that? Maybe for some of us, we need to ask, what is causing us to run now from God? What are we fearful of versus trusting in the character of God that causes us to flee? Now, at this juncture in our story, the reason is not made clear. And because I'm going to let the story unfold, I'm not going to share it with you yet. You'll, you'll, you'll find that later. What is clear is this, is Jonah is in rebellion against God. That's what's clear. That he is running the exact opposite of what God is calling to. He knows clearly what God's message and call for his life is, but he's turned his heels and he's running. Now, this story is meant to relate to us. My question to you is, is it, are you running from something today? Are you rebelling from God? And, and I know, you know, you, you might say, you know, Matt, I'm not, I'm not rebelling and running to Tarsus. I, I, I'm not, it's, it's not my whole life that's running from God. Well, rebellion is when we know the clear will of God and we turn and clearly disobey. So maybe it's not your whole life, but maybe it's just a part of your life. Is there an area in your life where God's giving you clear direction. But you're saying, no, not me. I know this causes me time for reflection. I want you to look at this text, though. I want you to notice a literary device that's occurring in here, particularly in verses 3 and verses 5. The Hebrew uses the same word root to describe how, how Jonah, in verse 3, went down to Joppa. It's the, it's the Hebrew word yarad. And then he went down uh, to the ship, again, the word Yerod. And, and in verse 5 it continues, he had gone below deck, or again it was Yerod. And when he falls into a deep sleep, verse 5, it's the, it's the word Yeradam. Now this is no mistake. This is a literary device to get the listeners, get the original audience's attention. It's there for us to get our attention. And the point is this. When we choose... To run from the clear will of God, to rebel against him. The truth is evident that all that happens is that we continue to go down in our life. You just go down. And you keep going down. And things don't get any better. 
when we flee his presence. The reality is the further that we continue to go down, the harder it is to get back. You'll see this in Jonah chapter 2. The deeper we get involved in the sin, the more we become entangled, the more the painful, the cutting away process comes. All of us could probably give testimony to this truth. So listen to me. Listen to me, young people. Listen to me, you live wires and you first through fourth graders. Don't rebel. Don't go down. Go with God. It'll cost you if you don't go with God. Now look at this, though. Now Jonah is rebelling. But Jonah is still God's prophet. Still his child. And God is the God who graciously pursues even when we rebel. Now, now, now God will sometimes, he'll let us go down. He'll let us go and make our choices. You, you want to go that way? Okay, I'll let you go. I'll let you go down some. But he's also a God who is gracious. That even in the midst of our rebellion, he will pursue us. Now, look how he does this. Look how he does this in verse 4. And the Lord, and the Lord hurled a great wind on the sea. And, and God's making this very clear. This isn't just some perchance God happened to just, you know, oh, it just happened to be stormy this day. No, God hurled. That is, he kind of wound up like a pitcher, took a big old throw, and threw a storm right down there on Jonah's boat. See, God's sovereign. It says that he heard a great wind on the sea, and there was a great storm on the sea, so that the ship was about to break up. In essence, the National Weather Service had entered out a call, and they had named the storm Discipline. That's what they did. You see, those who are God's children, those who rebel, he loves us so much and he, he wants to pour out so much grace and mercy upon us. And he so much wants us to be back on track with him because he knows that's the best track that he'll discipline us. Let me get you something clear about discipline. It, it's not necessarily punishment. There's no longer wrath for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no longer condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But he will discipline us. He will correct us. So God takes this, this, this storm, which is much more than a tropical depression. He takes this, and he, as it says in Hebrews 12, 6, For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. And the sovereign creator, Yahweh, he hurls down this storm. And the ship, it literally says, it was about to be broken that is, the sailors, as the storm's coming down, the sailors, as they were on the ship, they could begin to hear the planks on the ship begin to creak and to crack. Just imagine the wood breaking up there. They could be, begin to see, perhaps, the boards kind of wrenching and twisting. Maybe they, were, they, they, could, they felt the boat. As they, you, you've seen those boats as it goes down on its side and the wave brings it back up and then it goes back down on its side again and it brings it back up. The storm is, is worsening. And it says, and the sailors became afraid, and they get religious. Look what it says here. And every man cried to his God. And they threw the cargo which was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. They just started throwing out their profit right there. They chose to live and then instead of to make money at this point. 
But look at our rebellious servants of God. Look where he is. He's gone down still further. It says, but Jonah had gone below into the hold of the ship, laying down and fallen sound asleep. Now, how can you do that? You got this ship. I get seasick anyway. All right. I can go about a mile off the coast. And, and I've, if I forgot my drama, me, I'm in trouble. Okay. But here's this brother out on the ocean. God's hurled a great storm on him and he's gone to sleep. What a picture of the spiritual apathy he's in, is he not? And he's asleep. Here are these these pagans who are suffering, and here is God's servant who is rebelling, and he's so apathetic that others, as others' lives are threatened, he's sleeping through it. I want you to notice something from these verses, though. First, I want you to notice that Jonah's personal rebellion was costing these sailors their income as they were forced to throw it into the sea. That was their livelihood. Second, I want you to notice here that Jonah's personal rebellion was threatening their lives. Now, here's my point. Here's what here's what I want you guys to to take note of all of us in here. Don't ever believe the lie. That if I choose to rebel and along and if I choose to rebel, I'm not going to hurt anybody else. Don't ever believe that lie. That if you choose to not go God's way, oh, that won't hurt anybody. It's it's my personal choice. That's the biggest lie that Satan gives out to us. One of the biggest lies. It's not true. Your rebellion, your choice not to go the way of the Lord, always, always affects other people and harms them. It does. I see it time and time again. I see people who say, you know what? This is not going to hurt my children. This is not going to hurt my wife. This is not going to hurt my husband. This this is going to hurt my neighbor or my coworker. And it's a lie. Because in one way or another, it may be large ways, it may be small ways, but in some way, your rebellion, your sinful choice affects others. You think Adam and Eve thought their sinful choice was going to affect other people? No, they didn't. But it's affected an entire creation. That's why God doesn't want us to rebel. That's why God, when we do rebel, he so graciously and lovingly pursues us and disciplines us. Because he loves us and he loves others. And he wants to get us back in his will. So the captain approached. Now, look what happens here. Look how God continues to discipline. So the captain approached him and said, how is it that you were sleeping? Get up, call on your God. Perhaps your God will be concerned about us so that we will not perish. Notice what this captain says. Get up, call on your God. Now, remember, Jonah has been going down and down and down and down. Then a pagan sailor walks up and he says, instead of saying down, he says, get up. You think think Jonah might have remembered some things about a rise and go? God was using a pagan sailor to do a little preaching to Jonah. Ever had a pagan do any preaching to you? Doesn't feel good, does it? That's what he's doing here. And he gets his attention. 
He says in, in, in verse 7, here's what else is going on amongst the other sailors. And each man said to his mate, come, let us cast lots so we may learn on whose account this calamity has struck us. So they cast lots. And lo and behold, it just happens to be a coincidence. Who does the lot fall on? Who's it falling? Jonah. Yeah, Jonah pours the short straw out. He's the one. All right. Barnhouse, uh, a great commentator, once said, he says, you know, it's men who roll the dice, but it's God who turns up the spots. And that's what, what God did here. He turned up the spot on Jonah. Jonah was caught. Jonah thought he was fleeing. But God uses some sailors and used some casting of lots to grab his attention and says, no, it's you. And everybody else is watching now. And look how they jump all over him. Then they said to him, tell us how. On account, on whose account has this calamity struck us? What is, what is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? They want to know everything about Jonah, and they wanted to know it yesterday is when they wanted to know it. Who are you and what are you doing? And here's what Jonah says. He says it this way, too. Uh, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord God. And can't you tell it in my voice that I fear him? Of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Now, I, I think Jonah is in some ways being honest, but I don't think in real ways Jonah yet fearing God. Nor do I think he's truly repentant. I think the sailors, though, they're focused on a certain part. Because that's what he wants the sailors to hear this. They say, now, who are you? And he says, I'm a Hebrew. And they say, no, no, not that part. I fear the Lord God of heaven. No, no, not that part either. No, the last part. The Lord of God of heaven who made the sea and dry land. Yeah, that's, that's what we want to know. I mean, your God is the God who made the sea and the dry land. And you're out here now. You're sleeping in the bottom of the ship while this storm is raging. You're not praying on your God. That's what we want to know. And when they hear this last part, look what happens to them. Then the men became extremely frightened. Literally, the Hebrew says they feared a great fear. Jonah said, I fear the Lord God. These men feared a great fear. And they said to them, how could you do this? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So many times we think that you, we, you know, that we, we can sin and it'll never come back to get us. But there's a scripture that says your sins will surely find you out. It's found in Numbers. Reminds me of a story I just heard. There was a captain. His name was Frank Shaw. And Frank uh, was, uh, it was back in 1910, and Frank was the captain of the ship, and they were making their way around the Cape Horn of, of South America there. Very, very difficult place to go through there. Very treacherous place. Many ships wrecked there. And the men of the ship decided they didn't like how Captain Frank Shaw was leading. And so they decided to rebel and to, to have a mutiny on board. And the mutiny went so far that they shot the captain in the head. And they took the captain and they found an ice shelf that was floating out there and they threw the body out there. And then when they sailed back to England, they told him that uh, the, the sea captain had become ill. Well, 40 years later, off the coast of Chile, 
there were some ice packs and things that were getting too close to the harbor. And so they sent out ships to go, and these, these ships would go out and they would begin to blow up the ice shelves. Well, when they came upon one ice shelf, they saw something odd. And they went upon this ice shelf and they saw that a body was frozen there. And then as they took the, the, the ice apart and as they began to examine the body, they found the information that this was Captain Frank Shaw. And as they examined the body, they found a, a hole in the captain's head. And then when they sailed back to England, 40 years later, all those sailors on that ship were hung. I'm just here to tell you, your sins will surely find you out. They'll find you out. And I think in this place that this is a, this is a time when they're being found out. That it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's God's grace that it's being found at this point and not later. So they said to him, what should we do to you that the sea may be calm to us? For the sea had become increasingly stormy. And he said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. And I know that on account of me, this great storm has, has come upon you. Now, I'm not at the least bit believe that Jonah is truly repentant at this point. I personally believe, and I can't say this for dogmatically, but I personally believe that, that Jonah, while he has some sympathy for the sailors, not wanting them to come to harm, he still has no desire to fulfill God's commission in his life. Because what should have been Jonah's response? What could he have done? Well, Jonah should have been like those pagan sailors. He should have found some place on that ship where he could have had a little personal time in prayer with God. And he should have confessed his sins before God, repented of them, told these sailors, here's what needs to happen. You need to turn this ship around and you need to take me right back to Joppa. And this storm will stop. Instead, he says, he throws me in. He throws them in. Throw me in. Now, the sailors, here's another point in contrast. They show some compassion, I believe. However, the men rowed desperately to return to the land, but they could not, for the sea was becoming even stormier against them. God's kind of turning it up, just turning, turning up the storm a little bit. And then they called on the Lord and they said, We earnestly pray, O Lord, do not let us perish on account of this man's life. In essence, they, they, they were not wanting to take this man's life. They had such great fear and respect for God. That is Yahweh, the God of Israel. The true God, the self-existent one. So we earnestly pray, O Lord, do not let us perish on account of this man. Do not put innocent blood on us. For you, O Lord, have done as you have pleased. I think that's awesome. Here are these men who are worshiping pagan gods. And in the midst of Jonah's rebellion, God is so sovereign that God can work amongst storms. He can work amongst pagan sailors and captains. And his own servant's rebellion, and he can turn the, the, these men to the knowledge of the one true God. And that's what he does here. Folks, God is going to do what he pleases. And we can either be obediently be a part of it, or be disobedient and suffer the consequences that he fulfills his purposes anyway. Don't go down in rebellion. Go with God. Be a part of his purposes obediently. First 15 to 16 says, so they picked up Jonah, threw him into the sea and the sea stopped. It's raging. 
Then the men feared the Lord greatly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Now, it's one thing to be in a foxhole and to be call upon the God. But once you're delivered from the foxhole, then not only are they, they, they calling upon God, but they're offering sacrifices to him. They're offering vows to him. They're having a worship service to them. They're singing, all creatures are God and king. Oh, praise him is what they're doing. These men had changed. And God had worked. He'd worked graciously. And guess what? Even though Jonah is continuing to go down in rebellion, our sovereign, gracious God will continue to pursue him because he loves him. He loves him so much, he's going to send a fish called grace next week. And he loves you and I. And he pursues us in grace amidst our disobedience. The story is told by Lewis Crager. She tells the story of Justin Carl. Justin was her four and one half year old son. Lois and, and her husband were experiencing one of those days that all of us of parents have when your children are just driving you nuts. You know, you ever had those? Anyone had that day? All right. We love you guys, but you drive us nuts sometimes. OK. And sometimes you just it was one of those days where Lois's son was just kind of getting into everything. Just getting always do, doing something. They're spending their day saying, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. And finally, her husband, George, says, all right, Justin, you go there over into the corner and just stay there. And then Justin blurted back and he piped up and he said he wasn't happy at all. He says, I'm going to run away. I'm going to run away today. As soon as Lois heard that, she remembered from her her own childhood of of those kind of thoughts and that kind of thinking that that she, she had. And she remembered just how in her life it was a distant cry for how she may have felt unloved or, 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 or lonely. And she felt that in her son, that in reality, this was a cry for help. And so what she did, she said she turned to her son, Justin, and she said, OK, Justin, you can run away from home. And as she said that, she began to go and get a, get a bag and began to uh, pack his clothes for him. Justin's mama, mama, he said, what are you doing? Well, she said, we'll also need my coat and my nightgown. And so Lois continued packing these bags and items and placing it. She took the bag and placed it in front of the door. She turned to Justin and said, okay, Justin, you want to run away? You can. And Justin talks back and says, but yeah, but where, where are you going? And then she said this. Well, if you're going to run away from home, the mama's going with you because I would never want you to be alone. I love you too much, Justin Carl. And that's our God. We have times in our life when you and I, we choose rebellion in our life and we choose to run away from God. But God loves us so much that even in that rebellion, Though we continue to go down, he doesn't want us to be alone. And he pursues us in his grace. And he pursues us in his loving discipline. And waiting to pour out mercy upon us. I don't know where you are in your life, where the areas of rebellion may be. But God's saying, I want to pour out my grace on you. I love you too much to let you alone and to run away. I want you to come back. Don't go down in rebellion, but may you get up by my grace. That's our God who lovingly pursues us. Amen. Dear God, we come and we praise you. We thank you, God, that you are our God. 
We thank you, God, that you love us so much that you will wrestle when we have sinful hearts. You will wrestle with us and you will come after us and you will pursue pursue us in grace. Lord, I thank you so many times in my life when I have run and I have fled from you. You have come after me in discipline and in grace. My Lord, my prayer is that there might be some here today who are rebelling from you in the sense that they won't even come to a place where they acknowledge that there is a one true God. That that God has sent their son, Jesus Christ, to save them. And Lord, I pray that they might come to a place of grace and or a place of repentance, and they might turn to the grace of Jesus Christ who died on the cross for their sins, who was buried and rose again, and they put their faith and trust in Christ. I pray, Lord, for the, the, the believer who is here today and might be running from you. May they stop as they continue to go down in rebellion, and may they be allowed to get up as they turn to you and fall upon your grace. And, Lord, I pray that you will be glorified in, in every life that you change. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.